0: Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. And human beings like to clap. So sometimes they do, when good stuff's going on, you know? So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 as we continue our series, Humanize Me, and we're talking about dignity today. We're going to look at a a moment in the ministry of Jesus uh, where he issued some teaching about dignity. Luke 14, verses 7 to 14. And as you turn on your Bibles or open them, let's be sure to open our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. So Lord, it's our humble prayer again that in this moment, you would open your word to us and open us to your word. That through this This time of of the ramblings of a preacher that we could hear, Lord, some word, some understanding that drives us into a deeper passion for a deeper service to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said? Amen. 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 At verse seven. When he, that is Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is God's word and we're grateful. Amen? So dignity. Who do you invite to the party? Who is invited to the party? It can be a big question. I mean, if you're planning a wedding, that can be like a hundred dollars a head kind of a question, right? And you've got to decide who's in, who's out. Who's out? For me, it was always a a big question to ask whenever my birthday came around when I was in junior high. And you thought, okay, junior high, uh, everything, you know, with friends is weird. Who am I inviting to my birthday party? If I invite these people, that's good. But then if I invite this guy, I've got to invite all these guys. You know, who am I going to invite? It was very stressful. And so one year, my mom just took all the pressure off my shoulders. She said, just invite everybody. Just invite everybody. I don't think she thought anybody was going to come, you know, when I invited everybody. (laughs) But so I invited everybody, and, and, uh, and much to my non-popular kid surprise, because I was not the popular kid in the, in the junior high, a lot of people started to say they were coming. In fact, it started to sound like everybody was coming, because I invited everybody. And my mom said, that's okay, it's just hot dogs in the backyard, it's no problem, it doesn't matter how many people come, so I thought, yeah, but that's a lot of hot dogs. So... So I went out and started cooking the hot dogs myself. I I loaded the grill up with every square inch covered with hot dog. Okay? Now, has anybody ever tried that? Let me tell you something. When you cook that many hot dogs at once, it produces a lot of grease. When you produce a lot of grease over an open flame, it produces a lot of fire. I mean a lot of fire, like five feet, six feet of fire, and I'm trying to keep these things from going. And pretty soon, here I was, you know, non-popular Tim hosting a popular birthday party with all the popular kids in my backyard chewing on hot dog jerky. (laughs) So who do you invite? Do you invite everyone? I think when you've got an invitation to give, you give it. The guy who really taught me ministry, my mentor in ministry, is a man named Jonathan Miller. He always had this saying. He said, Tim, if you have it to give, give it. And he used that in all kinds of different ways, lots of different categories. If you've got money to give, give it. If you've got time to give, give it. If you've got a word of encouragement to give, if you've got something that might lift somebody's heart and you can tell it to, don't wait till tomorrow. Just give it right now. Give it today. If you've got it to give, give it. Well, if... I hope that if you, when you leave these doors, if you carry one thing with you this morning, if you carry one thought with you, I want it to be this. You have dignity to give. You have dignity to give. So give it. We're in this series called Humanize Me, wondering what does it mean to be more human? Well, Jesus is our model for humanity. Not only does he show us who God is, he shows us who we are and who we're meant to be because he's fully human. And so in a way, the more I act like Jesus, the more human I am, the more human I am becoming. And and when, when I get to act more human, then I get to help humanize others. Humanized people get to humanize people. When Jesus restores us or gets us on a path of restoration where we're becoming more human less he is human, then we get to help others. We get to remove obstacles from their life. We get to lift them up a little bit so they can be more the people who God intended them to be and we get to be a part of that so in that whole scheme what's dignity what's dignity i think dignity is when when we uh we know who our we know our own sense of value and our sense of worth as human beings when i have dignity i respect myself and i feel the respect of those around me you know i've got some dignity but as christians we go a little step further we say dignity has a source Dignity comes from from something. What does it come from? It comes from the image of God, that every single human person was made in the image of God. And so every person has value and worth and is worthy of dignity just on that basis. I I think actually it'd be really hard to make an argument for universal human dignity without talking about the image of God as creator in each of us. But that's, that's a sermon for another time, okay? We've got enough to chew on. What I want you to see today is this you have dignity to give. It's so easy to participate in the indignity. It's so easy to just sort of jump on the bad wagon and, and see when someone is getting, you know, suffering indignity, they're being dehumanized, they're being set apart, and we're saying, oh, we don't like those people, we're not with those people, we don't, I don't think those people are really human even. I mean, I'm not even, I don't know who those people are, or what they're about, but I don't like them. We can just jump in and participate in the indignities. Any of you who made it through high school know that this is true. <laughs> don't you remember? And those of you who are in high school, you're in the middle of it right now. And we're with you. It's easy to participate in the indignities. But you know what else? It's not that hard. It's not that hard to flip it the other way and to participate in giving people dignity. You have dignity to give. So give it. Look at Luke 14. Who gets the invite? Is it only people that you expect to get something from in return? Well, that's one way to go about it. I say, I have a party, I have a gift to give, and I, I want to make sure I use this wisely. I want to leverage this. I want to I give the gift to someone that, that, that they might be able to help me in return. Someone that if, if they owe me, then I might be able to get on in the world a little bit faster, a little bit further, you know, because I've, I've put them in my good stead, you know. But Jesus has other plans. Listen, sometimes when you have a gift to give, it's better just to give it and see what God unfolds. The passage starts with some practical wisdom, doesn't it? Jesus has been invited to a a prominent religious leader's home for dinner on the Sabbath. And on the way, Jesus heals a man. Am I too loud, by the way? I feel like I'm pretty loud. Um, It's just hitting me, so I'm feeling like it might be hitting you guys. And I want to dignify you right? By not blowing your eardrums out. So, So Jesus is going on and he's been invited to a religious leader's house for a Sabbath meal and along the way he heals someone on the Sabbath. You can see this in your Bibles, just go to the page, it's verses one through six of the same chapter. And so we hit again with the Sabbath challenge. What is Sabbath? Jesus says again, Sabbath is meant for healing, Sabbath is not meant for inhumane torture. If you're practicing the Sabbath in any way that's causing pain, putting pain on someone else's shoulders, you're not practicing the Sabbath God intends. We talked about that two weeks ago. So after the Sabbath challenge, Jesus walks into this this dinner party. And as he enters, he sees that people are jostling for the important place. They're stepping on each other's toes to get to the important position. They want that place that's more important than the person next to them. And maybe even Jesus' disciples are saying, well, when are you going to get in the game? You know, you're more important than that guy. And you're going to get that seat? That's terrible. You know? But Jesus looks at all this jostling. He looks at all this this elbowing out. He says, not smart, right? Not smart. Look at verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited, if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now, verse 11. If you haven't underlined verse 11, get your pens out. This is a verse we need. In fact, look over on your buddy's Bible. If they haven't underlined it, you just reach over. (laughs) This is a verse we need. Let's say this verse together as a church. Verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves be exalted. It's a verse we need. But what's going on here? How does this work? Okay, here's how these, these feasts would work. You would gather up and you would be, you'd be eating but the table isn't like a table like we think. It's just off the ground so you recline at supper. And you're lying down on these cushions and you lean back on your left elbow and you lie down and you just keep your right hand free to grab some food and eat it as it's coming along. And the shape, the shape of, the, of the feast would be in a U and the, the head of the feast, he's at the head of this U and then descending down from that spot is everybody who's been invited in order of importance. So imagine you've got that all set and everybody's there and everyone's at their spot and then in through the doors comes somebody who's super important somebody that everybody turns like ooh, whoa oh i didn't know they were coming you know like a congressman a senator like a rock star like like chris collins whoa well now what's going to happen what's going to happen the the master of the feast has got two choices he can either make everybody on this side or in this side shuffle, you know, pick up their food and sort of wiggle down the, the, the table. So the whole room is wiggling down the table to make room for this person, or or he can look to his left and look to his right and pick somebody. Adam? <laughs> Tough luck, buddy. You're out. And Adam moves back to the service entrance so that Chris Collins has got the place that he deserves to be. And doesn't he deserve it? Doesn't he deserve it, people? Come on. (laughs) Either way, it's a huge embarrassment. It's a huge disruption. It's to be avoided. And so Jesus offers you this advice. When you go to something like that, go humbly. Don't go storming into the room. Go humbly. Eugene Peterson gave voice to this verse in his, in his Bible, the Message Bible. He put it this way. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you will wind up flat on your face. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself good advice it's good advice but think with me now is Jesus an advice giver see this sounds when Jesus gets to talking like this it sounds a little bit superficial to me because usually Jesus is working on a slightly deeper level than good advice he's not really an advice giver he's not a leadership guru and he's never written three steps to hosting a nice dinner party okay Jesus is always working a little bit deeper than that. Is there something deeper going on? Of course there is. You see, Jesus, he walks into the room and he sees the jostling and he sees the elbowing and he sees the pushing forward and he sees the stepping on someone else to move myself forward and he knows there's something going on here. There's something going on in your heart that makes you want to step on somebody else to get yourself forward and it's never a righteous impulse. And you're trying to address a thirst, a need to be important, to be valued, to be more loved than the person next to you. And it's a need. It's a need that can only be met by God. And Jesus knows that we act the very same way when we enter the presence of God. If we're honest, we want to be a little more loved, a little more important, a little more valued than the person next to us. And that's not how your relationship with god is meant to be you don't have to push in front of someone else to be valued and loved by God. God, he loves each and every one of us. In his his omniscience, in his omnipresence, in his, his sovereign grace, he's able to see and value each and every individual, even as he values the mass. He sees everyone and knows them by name. And he addresses you as an individual. Your love from God is not love by comparison. It is love devoted to you fully, with the fullness of his heart. He loves you to 100% of divine capacity to love you. Not in comparison with the person next to you. But simply because he's named you his child. And he calls you by name. So, Jesus, he takes us further. Are you living in transactional relationships or loving relationships? Jesus tells another story to take us deeper. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. And you and I, we read that and we think, yeah, (laughs) you know, of course, Like, if I pick up the check this week and we go out again next week, I'm looking at you, brother, and I don't want to see the alligator arms, you know what I'm saying? Because I paid last week and you're paying this week. You know, that's how we live. So many of our relationships are transactional relationships. I give you a little bit because I'm expecting a little bit. I help you, you help me. I scratch your back, you what? Scratch mine. And that's how we live, transactional. But what happens when I don't have anything to give? Well, all of a sudden, I'm not that interesting. I'm not that valuable. I'm not invited. Jesus says there's another way. Not transactional relationship, but transformational relationship. Not a, a relationship of quid pro quo, but a loved-based relationship, a generous relationship, a dignity-building relationship. Verse 13, But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What's he saying? He's saying if you have it to give, give it without expectation of return it might just be you know it might just be more fun it might just be more real it might just be kinder it might make you feel more human and what jesus is saying is by the way this is kind of what god is after he says when you do that, when you, when you have the gift to give and you give the gift of dignity to someone else, God sees it. And however that feels to you, whatever reward or sense of worth or whatever merit there is in the act itself, he it says God sees it. And your ultimate reward is in the fact that when you give dignity to someone else, it warms God's heart. And your reward is in your relationship with Him. Listen, make sure you give some gifts that are never meant to return to you. Make sure you give some gifts that are never meant to return to you. Who do you want to invite? Well, I look at the story and as I said, I, I think about dignity. Dignity. Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Why? Well, because they can't be expected to return the favor. You see, he tells us in the text. But I think there's something else too. These are the people, these are human beings who suffer indignity every day as they are pushed out of the game, out to the margins, as though they have no value, no worth. And Jesus is saying, you have a gift to give. You can invite them. And as they come, You give them a moment where they are restored, where they know themselves, again, to be made in the image of God, to be people of worth and value, where they might know themselves, again, to be human beings that have a story to share. And they'll come and they'll bring their gifts, maybe not the common gifts that we're used to exchanging. They'll bring their presence, they'll bring their humor, they'll bring their wisdom from all that they have suffered in life. And as they give those things away, they'll be restored to dignity, knowing that they too are human, they too are in the image of God, they too have a mission in the purposes of Jesus. What is dignity? Ultimately for me, I think it says Dignity is knowing yourself as a child of the Most High God, given particular gifts for the purposes and the errand that Jesus has for you in your life. And every one of us has got a mission, has got a personal errand, for Jesus. Dignity is knowing yourself as a child of the Most High. If you have dignity to give, give it. What's more humanizing than that? We we began this series with a, a list of poverties that came to us from Peter Greer, the the executive director of Hope International, where Hope International asked uh, people living in Rwanda on less than $2 a day, what's poverty? How would you define poverty? And the answers that they gave were things like poverty is an empty heart. Poverty is not knowing your abilities and strengths. Poverty is not being able to make progress. Poverty is isolation. No hope or belief in yourself. Knowing you can't take care of your family. What are those things? These things that we lack, these poverties, these things that we don't have enough of that cause us to feel less than human. What are these? They're indignities. And when I look at that list, I can't help but think that I suffer the same things. Don't you? Don't you wonder sometimes if you're making any progress knowing that you're not? Don't you wonder sometimes if your kids are going to wind up better or worse off than you for all of your effort? Don't you wonder sometimes why you feel isolated and alone? Or have you ever been in a place where you were wondering if your gifts are worth anything, where the gifts that you have are worth anything to the people around you, to the world around you? these are the poverties, these are the indignities. And you and I suffer them just as much as anyone else. And they're not cured by money. They're just not. There might be another currency. If you have dignity to give, I say give it. First Prez partners with a house of dignity called the Dale House We partner with a bunch of houses of dignity, actually, places where dignity is restored. But the Dale House is uh, founded by Young Life in the 1970s, and it works with at-risk teens trying to give them time and and a space where they can restore their image of God within them and their sense of value and worth and and learn dignity again. And it's a special ministry to us not only because of what it does, but because in the 1970s when it was started, it brought to our city a three-year-old girl named Jennifer, because her dad was the one who was coming out to start this ministry, and she's now our executive pastor, Jennifer Holtz. That means a little bit to us. But here's a little bit more about the Dale House for you to understand.
1: I'm Kevin Comiskey, and we're here at the Dale House. The Dale House is a home for 16- to 20-year-olds that need a home. These are kids that have been bounced around the system for most of their lives. The staff are mostly just out of college, living in community, and working with residents. But mostly what the staff are doing here is creating a place for relationships to happen. They believe in these kids. They celebrate them when they do good and they kick them in the rear when they need it. They tell them good night. they tell them good morning, they tell them they're proud of them, they value their accomplishments. We think relationships are what works and our staff work hard at creating positive relationships. We believe relationships changes people. Ultimately, a relationship with God is the force of change in the world. The staff are here to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. These kids are God's kids, and God wants them to be treated well. We want to show them how to live into the good life that God has laid out for them. We hope to introduce them to a God who is crazy about them. We want to show them a good God that has a plan for them. Not for calamity, but for good. Plans that give them a hope and a future.
0: Dignity. If you have it to give, give it. I want to close with this idea. How can you give without expecting return? How can a man give without expecting something to come back? How can a woman invite without waiting in the back of her mind for the invitation to come her way? How can we escape the transactional and move into the transformational? How can can I pour out from my storehouse with no assurance of any return on investment? How can I do that? How can we escape that? How can we be free to give dignity in a way that, that helps others to grow? That's transformational, not transactional. To give away without expectation of return. How can that happen, friends? It's the gift of God. It's the way he gives to us. It is not an expectation of return. The feast, you see, The feast where Jesus walked in and he saw a Sunday dinner and and people jostling for attention and wanting this or that. He saw something else happening. The feast, it's an image. It's a metaphor. It's a picture always in Jesus' ministry. A picture of a greater feast. And so he, he talks about the kingdom of God where we're invited into a greater feast. He gives you a clue if your Bible's still open. It tells us in verse 7 that he told him this parable, this parable. Not Not a helpful hint for a Sunday night meal, a parable. And Jesus said when someone invites you to a wedding feast, that's a clue, you see. He's talking about something bigger. When you and I are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb and we come into the kingdom of God and sit at table in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and he's the master at the head and every one of us, every one of us is named important and whole and we're drawn to sit at that table not by comparison but by total and complete love. And when we come to that feast, you see, we don't come. We don't come having been invited from an expectation of return. What do we have to give? We come just because Jesus wants to invite us home. We come by the gift of his grace. How can I give the feast away to others? Because the feast was never mine to begin with. It's a gift from God. And I can give it away in his name. We just got back a bunch of us, as Chris said earlier, from a trip to Israel, about fifty of us on a, a pilgrimage. And I can tell you, we sat in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus agonized. And we walked over and and we stood in the courtyard where Jesus was beaten and abused and a crown of thorns was placed on his head and we walked the Via Dolorosa the the Roman road where Jesus walked carrying his cross for us we touched stones that have come from that very road Jesus he went out of the city gates and he died on the cross of Golgotha and he became indignity so that you and I, we could lift our heads and be human again and maybe reach out a hand and offer to someone else to come along. Who will you invite? Lord, we thank you for your dignifying love. We thank you for your sacrifice. Where you took upon yourself and laid across your shoulders the indignities of us all, the dehumanizing, inhuman pain and suffering of this world, the disobedience that drives us far from you. And Lord, you became undignified, indignity, so that you, we could raise up and lift up our heads and know ourselves, sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you. Help us, encourage us today to give where we expect no reward, to, to invest where nothing will return, where, to, to pour ourselves out in a place where nothing will return to us, only the glory of your name, the glory of the name of Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to the First
0: Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.